As we prepare to enter into the word, let us pray together. Father, once again, we ask, well, actually, Lord, we just praise you that your spirit is present. It has been felt already. And as we open your word, I ask that you would lead us into a deeper understanding of your love for us and of your plan for us. Lord, break me, let the words that are heard be yours. We ask these things in the saving name of Jesus. Amen. We have been journeying through the book of Matthew, have worked through the Christmas story and all of that, the birth story. In June, it was a little bit odd for some of us, I think, but we've worked through that, worked through the calling of disciples and are on to that Sermon on the Mount. The sermon where Jesus takes the assumed understanding, the, the thoughts that people had for so many years of what the law, what following God's purpose in their life was, and turned it around into something that was counterculture as Pastor Walt has told us. Now, so we've spent some time looking at that. I have to just take a moment and say that it's interesting preaching a sermon series on the Beatitudes with somebody else, which I don't know where he is right now, but wherever he is. Oh, he's there in the back. Um, Because I realized this week I had exactly four unique words to preach on. Meek, inherit the earth because pastor walt has laid out the idea of what it means to be blessed what the he has unpacked that word and so there is no more unpacking so with your permission i'm just going to remind people and steal the oh the joy of those who experience god in these ways and so it is with that that i will just skip over that because it has been laid out and if you've missed it you can find the sermons online to hear the concept of what it means to be blessed as you do these unusual things. Blessed, oh, the joy, if you are poor in spirit. Counter to every thought out there. Oh, the joy in mourning. Counter to all concepts. And some of you are probably thinking that works both for crying and when the sun comes up. Um, So, yeah, we mourn in the morning, some of us. And oh, the joy of the meek. That is what we're going to look at today. This progression. It was mentioned when when Pastor Walt opened up the series that he noticed a progression. And I have to say that as I was studying this, I noticed it clearly as well that there is a a progression, a a discipleship track throughout these Beatitudes as we move from being poor in spirit to understanding your depravity and sin and mourning over that, of being meek, of moving forward to the rest of the Beatitudes as you begin to be persecuted for righteousness, and these are good things. The progression has now led us to, oh, the joy of the meek. 
Now, I mentioned that there were four unique words I had to preach on this week, but do not fear. I was able to find plenty to talk about today. So we will begin by looking at the meek and what that really means. There is no good word in English because English is just like the worst language ever, apparently. But there is no good word that really describes what is being thought of when Jesus says the word meek. What does it mean to be meek? And so we're going to unpack that today for sure. We're going to look at what it means to be meek. And there are three areas, three descriptors that I think really are the ones to focus on as we look at what was being indicated by Jesus when he said, Oh, the joy of those who are meek. The first characteristic I think everybody would probably get, um, gentle. Meekness, there is a gentle spirit in being meek. But as you will see, meekness does not mean weakness. To be meek does not mean that you do not stand up for something. It does not mean that you are always just timid in the back. Being gentle can sometimes mean being passionate, being excited, being convicted of something that needs to be done and doing it. But it is in the spirit that those things are done that the meekness happens. And we will see that as we move on today. Gentle is a concept of meek. Another concept is humble. Humility. To be strong in weakness only comes, I'm sorry, to be strong in meekness only comes when you are humble. And we'll unpack that. It also means God-controlled, surrendered. The meek are God-controlled. The meek are those who have given up their right to their life and given it over to God. And so that is what we're going to look at today as we unpack what Jesus was saying when he said, Oh, the joy of those who are meek. We want to go to a story. It's found in the Old Testament about one of the fathers of the Israelites, somebody they looked to strongly, the the man who led the Israelites from slavery, slavery to freedom with God's guidance, uh, Moses. And so we want to go to a story where a unique phrase is used about Moses. It's found in the book of Numbers, chapter 12, if you want to follow along. There's Bibles in the pew in front of you, or get out your devices, or the words will be on the screen today. But Numbers, chapter 12, starts with the story about the leadership of Israel, Moses, Miriam, and Aaron. Kind of the three, the triad, if you will, of leadership in, for the Israelites And they, Miriam and Aaron, began to get a little bit jealous. And scripture tells us that Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman 
whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. More family squabbles get started over in-laws and sister-in-laws than I don't know. You always have to be careful. You never know what sister-in-law might come in or brother-in-law or father or mother-in-law might come in and kind of mess your life up. But apparently, Miriam had a little bit of an issue with Moses' wife, who was an Ethiopian woman. And because of this, jealousy begins to build up in them. And so they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Which is that rhetorical question. The answer is, of course, no. Duh. Has he not spoken through us also? Um, Yes. Duh. And the Lord heard it. There are these times in Scripture when things that are obvious get mentioned. Um, We've seen it in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, where Jesus opened his mouth to speak and sat down. These are kind of obvious sorts of things, but we've learned that there's depth to that. The fact that it's mentioned that the Lord heard this is a little bit like, okay, doesn't the Lord hear everything because the Lord is omniscient. He's all-knowing. The Lord is everywhere. He's omnipresent. He knows all of these things. He's, he's all-powerful. We'll just leave it at that. I don't like that omni-word, whatever that one is, because that always comes out as a different word and gets me in trouble. Um, so omnipotent, is that how you say that? Because anyway, I want to say a different word, and it's just not going to be good. But the Bible says that the Lord heard it, and God, who is all-powerful, knowing, all-hearing, of course he hears this. But what is being said here is important for us today. Because when God hears, when it mentions specifically that God hears something, it means that he will act on it. It means that God is going to act on it. And so all throughout Scripture, you will see, and the Lord heard the cries of his people and he remembered them and brought them out of slavery and God heard different things and he acted on them. But the joy of that today is that the Bible promises us that God hears us and he hears the call and the, the cries of the righteous. Psalm 34 verse 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears The Bible tells us that God hears us. And so we can be confident knowing that when God hears us, God will act on it. This is a promise that we can cling to and know that because we have been promised that Jesus is there, the Spirit is there, translating our prayers, getting them to God so that what we really want to say, God hears. And we are told that God hears it so we know that God will act on that in our behalf. That is good news. And so the Lord hears the complaints of Miriam and Aaron, and we know that he will act on it. We then get to verse 3. 
Verse 3 says, a parenthetical statement, now Moses, the man Moses, was very humble. More than all who were on the face of the earth. Okay, we'll just stop and think about this for a little bit. As I was reading this verse, I was reminded of a lyric from a song, um, <clears throat> a Weird Al song, because, um, you know, they're the best. Um, but he, in his song, he says, I'm a million times more humble than thou art. And that's kind of what I hear when I read this, because we're in the book of Numbers, the part of the Pentateuch, part of the books of Moses that Moses wrote. And so somehow Moses felt compelled by the Spirit to say, I was the most humble man on all of the earth, more humble than everyone. And we all kind of question what in the world. This is not how the humble act. Some translations use, actually use the word meek for humble. Moses was the most humble man. But here is where we begin to unpack what meekness means in our life. Because Moses was humble. He was meek, even though he was strong. And so, because we've talked about that the Lord has heard this, now we're going to look at what the Lord does. So the Lord, suddenly the Lord, said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle. When God hears, he is going to act. But when God hears the words, or God hears for those who are meek, God himself comes down and acts on their behalf. God comes down because Moses was meek, because Moses was humble. He was not answering the accusations of Aaron and Miriam. He stepped back. He allowed his life to be controlled by somebody else, and God came down and acted for Moses. When we are meek, God will work on our behalf. When we are meek and following God, he works on our behalf. Moses could have stood up and said, wait a minute. This is my wife you're talking about and gotten into an argument. He could have stood up and said, I'm choosing my marriage over my family. He could have said, I'm choosing to defend my honor because I'm Moses, for crying out loud, who saw the burning bush. You know, God is talking to me. I've led us through the sea. I've called plagues down from heaven. I am this great prophet of God, and God has talked to me, and if you don't like it, deal with it. He could have gone that route, but no, Moses just sat back and did not do anything because he was the most humble. And God acted on his behalf and defended Moses and did what Moses could have done but did not do because he was humble. When we allow God to be in our lives 
when we allow ourselves to be meek, what that means is we have given up control. We have given up control of our outcomes. We have given up control of what people say or think about us. And it is God then who can step in and say, wait a minute, have you considered my servant? Have you considered these people? I know them and defend them. God will act on our behalf when we allow God to control our lives. When we are surrendered to God through meekness, he will control our lives. To be meek means to be surrendered or God-controlled. Stephen, in his sermon, right before he was stoned, gave an amazing sermon on the history of the Israelites. And in that story, he talks a lot about Moses and just goes down the life of Moses, pointing out all of the things that Moses did in his life. And in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, Luke writes about what Stephen said, saying, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. The phrasing there is a little bit weird. We don't often say somebody was very learned. Um, That's a little confusing, but it's just essentially saying Moses was taught. He knew all the wisdom of Egypt. One of my favorite aspects of the Bible is often this, the white spaces, meaning the spaces in between the words, where you just have to kind of, with your imagination, fill in what really is being said. Because the Bible tells us that Moses, after he was found in the river, went back to his mother and was nursed and raised, and then went off to the Egyptians where he was learned in all of their wisdom. We can assume that Moses, through some of his actions later on in life, was also learned in the ways of Scripture. That he had been taught and learned the things of God by his mother. And that when he went into the Egyptian palace, he did not forget what he had been taught as a child. But he also learned the things of the Egypt, the ways of the Egyptians and was learned in all of their wisdom. I think this is important to note because one of the aspects of meekness is humility. One of the aspects of meekness that really unpacks that word is being humble. And to be humble means that certain things have to happen in your life. And if you are willing to learn, learning is a product of humility. Because we can't learn until we're humble enough to admit that we are ignorant about something. And so we can look at this and say, because Moses learned, because Moses was taught, he was humble, admitting that he did not know everything. You've all met the kids who think they know everything. And I have had conversations with 
kids, 8, 9, 10 years old, who know everything, and oh my goodness, they are a kick in the pants to have, but you're just like, but dude, you're only 10, you can't possibly know everything, even though you think you do. Humility comes in from learning, because humility demands that we admit that we are ignorant. The same is true of Christianity, of discipleship. Discipleship requires humility because we have to admit that we are weak and broken. Being a part of humanity requires that we are humble because we have to admit that we are the creation, not the creator, and that it is only through God that we can accomplish anything. Humility brings us into meekness. Humility takes us out of the driver's seat and allows someone else to control our lives. And Moses was meek. It's then interesting. Luke, as he wrote this, said right after this, he was, knew all of the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. I want to go back to the other book that Luke wrote, the Gospel of Luke, because this phrase, when phrases appear in the Bible that are similar, there's usually a connection. But if they appear in the Bible and were written by the same person, it's probably a big connection. And it says, Moses was mighty in words and deeds. This is an indication that Moses was a true prophet In chapter 24 of Luke, Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus with those those, um, disciples, giving them a Bible study, and there's this phrase, So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. There is a connection saying that Moses was a type of Messiah was a type of Jesus, was there to save the people just like Jesus was going to do later. He was a prophet who was mighty in word and deed, that he could lead others out. Now, I often wonder, well, we'll get to that in a little bit. Humility being a part of being meek. God controlled admitting that we don't have or know everything are two aspects of being meek. The second half of this, the second half of the, of the beatitude, of the blessing, is that the meek will inherit the earth. Now, I wanted to just look at inheriting the earth. And as I was doing that and studying, the thought of Alexander the Great came into mind. And Alexander the Great is one of those stories where you just aren't sure if everything you read is true. It's almost become more myth than fact on some of the things. But I went to the Internet this week and... So I feel confident that I've got some good information for you. Um, I found this on several sites, so I feel that there is some, it's either a great 
collusion of deception or it is um, maybe some truth to it. But Alexander the Great um, lived, lived around the 4th century, 350s or so, and was raised by a King Philip and his wife Olympus, who thought highly of themselves, apparently. Um, Alexander, the, the story goes, was raised to think that he was actually the, sons, the son of some of the gods, of Hercules, of Achilles, of some of these great things. And so he grew up a little bit high on himself, thinking that he was going to be this great person. When he was 16 years old, his father went away to raid another country, and at 16, he made Alexander essentially second in command of Macedonia. By 20 or so, just a few years later, um, his father had been killed, and there were differing stories on how that took place um, on the internet, so I don't know what's true there. Um, But there were... His father had died, and by the age 20, Alexander the Great had inherited a kingdom. And in the next 13 years, proceeded to conquer most of the known world. But there's an interesting thought to this. Because Alexander the Great was raised to think that he was a hero. And no hero wants to be given things. And so in his might and power, the thought of inheriting something, something grand, did not sit well with him because no hero wants to be given a handout. A hero must get what is theirs. And so Alexander the Great proceeded to conquer the known world in 13 years by power. Because who wants to inherit something when you can get it by power? But the way that it works is when you take it by power, when you want to inherit something through power, that is how you will lose what you are inheriting through power. And as we know, Alexander the Great only lived to be about 32 or 33 years old before he was killed in some way that is still a mystery today. He inherited the earth through power, and it did not last. God has promised that those who are meek, those who are humble, those who are God-controlled will inherit the earth. I want to go back to the story of Moses. The story of Moses and how he was this great God-fearing leader, but yet there were times that he made mistakes. In Exodus chapter 2, the story is Moses has been, has been ruling in the, has been growing up in the Egyptian courts for 40 years. He's 40 years old. And he goes out and sees some men fighting. And the Bible says it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew one of his brethren. Moses, after 40 years, maybe 30, 30, 25 years in the Egyptian temple, still has not forgotten what his roots are. 
the education of his mother into the ways of the Hebrews, the ways of the Israelites, was still ingrained in him. And he considered these Hebrews to be his brothers. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Moses knew that he was called for a purpose. Moses knew that he was to lead his people from slavery. And for an instant, he forgot who was in control. And Moses, trying to protect his brethren, kills this Egyptian and buries him in the sand. I wonder, back to the white spaces of the Bible... And this is something that I'm not saying to you as fact. I'm just, this was something that popped into my mind throughout the week and I thought was interesting. I wonder if God had a plan for Moses where if he had stayed and remembered his humility and meekness, if he had stayed God-controlled all the time, if there wasn't a way that the Egyptians, that the Israel Hebrews could have been saved from the Egyptians, in a much less gruesome or terrifying way. Maybe God had a plan where they could have inherited the promised land and Egypt if Moses had stayed and kind of worked through the system and not taken by power something that he thought he was supposed to do. And so Moses, through this one act, did not inherit Egypt like he could have. It is possible that Moses could have inherited Egypt if he had just stayed true and not had this one act. But in that moment of weakness, by power, he tried to free the Hebrews. And God was going to have none of that because God did not want to use military action to free his people. And so Moses lost the inheritance of Egypt. There was one other time that Moses, two other times, but one that we're going to look at, where Moses got angry. It was at the, near the end of the journey through the desert, and Moses, the people are complaining and they're hungry. And in Numbers chapter 20, the story is, And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and said to them, Hear now, you rebels, must we bring water out for you of this rock? God has talked to Moses and told him that you will get water from this rock. It was supposed to produce water. But in here you see the little shift of wording where the problem is happening in Moses' mind. Must we bring? Anytime that we get to a situation where even if we know what God's plan is, if we take responsibility or credibility or any sort of part of the reason why it's happening must we do this Moses and Aaron were putting themselves in God's place it was never their place to bring water out from the rock it was God's desire to bring water out the out of the rock through his power and so Moses in a in a moment of angerness a moment of rage lifts his hand and struck strikes the rock twice with his rod and water comes out abundantly and the congregation and their animals drank. Through this one act 
of anger. Moses again loses an inheritance. Moses lost the inheritance of the promised land. It was because of this act that Moses and Aaron led the people up to the edge of the promised land, but were not allowed to go into the promised land because they had tried to take their inheritance through power. But the joy, the, the truth of the matter is, is that even though they made that mistake, it did not define Moses' life because he was the meekest of all men, the most humble of all men, and he still inherited the earth that really matters. This earth that Jesus is sitting there on that mountainside, it could have been thought that he was looking and saying, all of this land around here will be yours. You will inherit the earth. But I think that Jesus had a much bigger concept in mind because Jesus was never about coming and taking over the earthly settings that he lived in. Jesus was about coming down and saying, there is something way better than you can ever imagine that is coming your way. And the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation about the new earth that comes down. And the meek are going to inherit the new earth. The meek will inherit and rule over an earth that is perfect, that is meant for them through the humility of their lives, through the fact that they are God-controlled. They will rule over the new earth. And anyone who tries to rule over this earth through their own power will have that removed from them by God's power. The inheritance that God wants to give us. The inheritance that we get for being meek is to rule over the new earth. To be a part of God's eternal kingdom. And that is what being meek, the blessing, the joy that comes from being meek now and losing out on something that really doesn't matter, things of this earth that do not matter, will be replaced by a partnership with Jesus in ruling over the new earth throughout eternity with him. Oh, the joy of being meek. And so, I thought we would expand and have this, this beatitude kind of really drawn out to really unpack it. And this is kind of a version of, you know, using some of Walt's, Pastor Walt's words, some of my words, and some of a, another author I was reading. But this is what the beatitude could possibly read. Oh, the joy of those who are always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time, who have every instinct, impulse, and passion under control because they themselves are God-controlled, who have the humility to realize their own ignorance and their own weakness, for such people will rule the new earth. Oh, the joy of living through eternity with Jesus. Oh, the joy of being meek and allowing him to guide our steps today. 
because he has promised a life abundant that he will give to us if we allow ourselves to be controlled by him. Oh, the joy. That is a joy that I want to claim today. And I pray that God will make us meek, humble, surrendered disciples today. Let's pray. Lord, we oftentimes allow ourselves to get in your way. We often try to do the right thing through our power. But Lord, you've shown us through the the life of Moses, you have shown us a way to lead, a way to guide, a way to follow you through ultimate surrender. So Lord, may we, may we fall down to our knees and say, Jesus, it is you we want to be in charge. So that is our prayer today. Lord, lead us, guide us, help us to be meek disciples of you. We ask these things in the saving name of Jesus Christ. Amen.